Welcome back. Another week, another exciting episode. Back to our original schedule. I'm Ryan Beckman, always joined by my co-host. Ryan Minnick, I'm here too, excited for another episode back. Ryan, uh, how was your Thanksgiving? It was a good Thanksgiving. Pretty low-key, uh, just some time with some family, socially distant, not spreading the virus, fortunately. So good Thanksgiving and a safe Thanksgiving. How much how cranberry yourself? sauce did you have? Um, I, I could only look at the cranberry sauce and think of you. That's, been, that's all I could do. I could look at the middle of it and be like, I need to talk to Pee Wee about the cranberry sauce. But yeah, I'm not, I, you're not the only one that likes it. I know a lot of other people too, so I'm not knocking cranberry sauce. Yeah, I saw a map uh, of like states with uh, the most favored Thanksgiving food. And actually West Virginia was cranberry sauce. I don't know how accurate those things are, but you know, it is what it is, I guess. Um, and man, whoo, what a weekend of football. But guys, before we get into our rundown like normal, uh, hey, go listen, go subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe again, download, listen, write a review, all the good stuff. Uh, be like my married couple friends, you know, help us out. Give us a nice review. Leave five stars. Uh, Ryan, and I mean, you know, where should they follow us? They should be following us not only on Apple and Spotify to listen to the episodes and know when the episodes drop, Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, TikTok, we'll be doing some one-off videos of sports news throughout the week that we may not be able to cover on the podcast. Uh, update episodes and guest announcement alerts on all social media. So make sure you're following us there as well. Yeah, and on Sunday, I think what we'll start doing for TikTok, uh, if you follow us there uh, yesterday, uh, I did uh, the two biggest games of, uh, of the day, and then Ryan did as well, and we did picks for that. And that's probably what we'll do going forward. But Hey, let's dive right into it. It's uh, one of the best weekends of football of the year. Typically, this is rivalry weekend in college football, but hey, COVID, that's still a thing. So <laughs> we didn't have some classic uh, rivalry games on Thanksgiving weekend like we normally would, like uh, Ohio State, Michigan, hello. Uh, we would typically have West Virginia playing this weekend. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, you know, typically we have um, the Iron Bowl. We did have that, thankfully. Uh, but there, there are a lot of things. I mean, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, that didn't happen. So, you know, it's just another weekend in college football, unfortunately, where these games are getting canceled, postponed, moving dates. Look, guys, typically the first weekend in December is conference championship week. Obviously, that's not the case. Typically, the third week of December is bowl season starting. That's also not the case because a lot of these games were postponed to the third weekend of December. So typically, you know, they're playing 13 games. But really, this year, they're playing like a full NFL schedule, Ryan. Yeah, and even though they may not have the same number of games, uh, the, the latest one that I know, and, and we'll touch on it being WVU Oklahoma on the 12th of December now, it just gives you more football. And, and I think that the NCAA has done fine with these postponements. Just, just be flexible. That's really the only thing that people are asking in this sense. And obviously, every conference is different. The Pac-12 and Big Ten got a late start, and and they're going to play less games. But in 2020, you just have to roll with the punches. And, and I think for the most part, everyone's done fine with that, with, with everything that's happened. Yeah, and uh, also, I mean, the playoff community right now has uh, a tentative date set for December 20th. That's not set in stone, but it is the date that they're pushing for uh, to release the Final Four. But, um, yeah, let, let's uh, dive right into it. Ryan. We talked about it as potentially one of the best games of the weekend. It certainly lived up to being one of the best games of the weekend, probably second right behind that Notre Dame game that we'll touch on here in a little bit. But 
Iowa State, Texas. Oh boy, look out for them Cyclones. Yeah, I'm I'm a big Matt Campbell fan. I think he's done a lot for that Iowa State program and really made them competitive and put them on the map. Uh, Brock Purdy and Brees Hall were great too. There's there's calls on Twitter and Instagram now. Is it time to move on from Tom Herman? So that's that's kind of putting it in perspective of, of what it's like to be in Texas right now. But uh, again, I'm happy for Iowa State, a team that was kind of a bottom dweller of the Big 12 for a while. Them in Kansas were kind of seen as the unequals of the Big 12. Uh, for them to be in contention and, and most likely will play for a Big 12 championship now, I, I think that's great. And I, I, again, I think that's a testament to Matt Campbell and what he's been able to do with that program. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's really become one of the best coaches in the conference, probably outside of Lincoln Riley, when you think about it, what he's taken that program from. I mean, a couple of years ago, uh, they were 38-point underdogs. Hello, against Oklahoma in Norman. What did they do? They won 38-35. The guy knows how to win. I do hope, though, a part of me hopes that he does not use this as a pedestal, as a lot of coaches will do, as you see in college football, to take him to the big program like USC. That job could be coming available at the end of the season because they don't look uh, really good. I mean, and you have other programs like South Carolina, you know, so coaching jobs are becoming available. Michigan, perhaps. I don't know. I'm starting to change my view on that. And I'll touch on that here in a moment as well. But I mean, Ryan, and we'll talk about it on our Friday episode, but they play West Virginia this weekend and they could win the Big 12 title. And do you see them having an outside shot at the playoff? I think the playoffs going to be difficult for anyone from the Big 12. I know there's some pundits out there saying, now, oh, look out for Oklahoma. Here they come. But I just don't know if the Big 12 is going to be represented. I think barring anything shocking, of course, Alabama, Clemson, uh, Notre Dame will be there. And I think Ohio State, if, if they are able to play the games and, and win out, I think they'll be there too. I'm not saying Iowa State's completely out of the playoff race, but they're a very much a long shot at this point. Uh, I, I think you would have to consider looking at a team like Cincinnati, maybe even before them or Florida. Um, I, I like Iowa State. I just don't know if they're playoff ready just yet. If Matt Campbell's continues to stay there. Uh, but, you know, to my last point, if, if Texas fires Tom Herman, which I, I don't think is going to happen, but if Texas fires Tom Herman, uh, they could pull the Kevin Durant and just say, well, if you can't beat him, join him. <laughs> um, just for the record, you do not think Tom Herman's on the hot seat. I don't. And, and, and some of this is, is dating back a couple episodes when we talked about firing in 2020. I don't know if this is the best gauge of, of where the program is at in 2020 for all teams. Uh, then now there are a couple of exceptions to that rule. And I think Michigan may be one of them to your point. I don't think Tom Herman's on the hot seat. I think Texas has played fine just not well enough maybe to their standard, but that's what got Mac Brown fired and that's what got Charlie Strong fired. So it's very possible that he could, but I think it's going to have a lot to do with donor pressure um, and pressure from other outside sources and seeing that. But I think Tom Herman's job is safe for now. Uh, we'll see how the rest of the season pans out, but I think for now he's, he's probably safe in, in Austin. Yeah. How long has Sam Ellinger been there since the Reagan administration? Like, that guy, like, how many years has it been since he said we're back after winning the Sugar Bowl? Uh, I think he was running back. the. I think he was running the wing T back in a Royals offense back in the '60s, 
That's that's how long it feels like him, Perry Ellis, and Brock Purdy too. I think I've texted you on Saturday and said, "How long have Brock Purdy and Sam Ellinger been at these respective institutions?" This has to be the game of the oldest quarterbacks that I feel like I've ever watched. Yeah, I think they were running against each other for president in the Cold War. I mean, <laughs> like they've been there forever. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Iowa State, they're the they're the absolute front runner in the Big Twelve, but. Let's touch on it. Notre Dame, North Carolina, the score 31-17. Look, if you didn't watch the game, if, and even if you just watched highlights, that score is not indicative of how close the game actually was. And Ryan, you can back me up on that. That game was absolutely phenomenal from point A to point Z. It's one of those classic college football games. We've had them the last couple weekends, that Ohio State-Indiana game in the second half uh, last weekend, for example. It just seems like Notre Dame's finding their groove. And look, I, I'll flat out admit, look, I'm not a Notre Dame supporter, okay? Look, I would be happy if they missed the playoff because I feel like every time they're on the big stage, they lose. Look, last time they were in the playoff, they lost to Clemson 30-3. to uh, three. They just don't have that special, you know, Notre Dame flash that they used to in the 80s or 90s. And I feel like they shy away in the big moments. I mean, I always think about Brady Quinn. Uh, when they played Jamarcus Russell of all people in the L- in LSU in the Sugar Bowl, and they got smoked. They lost like 42 to 10, uh, I think it was. So, I mean, that game, though, North Carolina driving down in the very first possession, maybe it was the second, they scored a touchdown, and it was a phenomenal catch. I mean, he basically Randy Moss, the kid. And I just – I don't know what to think of North Carolina. I don't know what to think of Notre Dame, especially Notre Dame getting the – win the way they did really that touchdown at the end it was because North Carolina had no timeouts Notre Dame was already inside their the own 40 so I don't know what to think of Notre Dame going forward because they're going to be playing Clemson in a few weeks and that game is a playoff quarterfinal what's your thoughts so I think uh one thing I want to touch on before I go into the actual game is your uh, quarterback matchup there of Brady Quinn and Jamarcus Russell that's that's an all-time quarterback matchup. I yeah, feel like two, we need to go back two. and watch that one. Yeah, two top first-round uh, draft picks. Yeah, 2007. What a what a year. But um, looking at the game, I, I want to go back, too, to another thing you said about their first drive. That catch by Emory Simmons, right there, I, I kind of sat back in my chair and gave the they gave the shock face. I was like, oh, okay, North Carolina's here to play. And, and they're not messing around with this. And, and they drove right down on Notre Dame. Uh, but Notre Dame's defensive line really stepped up the rest of the game and, and was able to put pressure on Howe and really hold the line of scrimmage, which you'll hear me say it multiple times. That's where games are won, is, is in that front five, front you know seven really with, with the defensive side. But that's, that's where games are won, and that's where Notre Dame controlled it. Um, Ian Book's pass was also a, a very – phenomenal play in that entire game the one where he basically uh, got a bad snap backpedaled turned around and then was able to throw it out in the flat and score that was an incredible play um, I, I don't want to give any any disrespect and make a make people think we're not looking at Notre Dame in that but that Ian Book play was fantastic and, and honestly the player that I noticed the most personally was Kyron Williams um, I, I talk a lot whenever I'm watching games people that I watch games can testify to that but one thing I like to talk about is like a bowling ball runner. And that's what Kyron Williams is. He likes to deliver the pain at the end of the run. And that's the kind of running backs I like. And he does not go down easy. 
And, and I really think he was the difference maker in that game because when he was touching the ball and running the ball, it was noticeable for the Irish. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I also think Ian Book, uh, the more the season goes along, in a weird way, I understand we're in a global pandemic and Notre Dame will never be in the ACC conference. As far as football is concerned, they still have that weird, you know, men's basketball, other sports where they're like half ACC schedule, essentially, and pretty much all ACC schedule and like, you know, basketball, for example. But as the season goes on, I, I start to wonder if Ian Book is – maybe finding his groove or if he's just getting in a rhythm coming off that Clemson win because Ian book, that was his first and really truly big win at the school that like, Hey, everybody let's watch out for Notre Dame. Look, I, I know they were in the playoff a couple years ago and they had a very signature type year, but they're about to experience something they've never had to do in Notre Dame football history. They're going to play a 13th game, essentially 10, I think, but It'll be a conference championship and they don't ever have that. And so the added pressure of that and that coming up in a couple of weeks, because it's obvious it's going to be Clemson and Notre Dame at this point. Like Miami had an outside chance at first, but unfortunately, you know, they don't have that shot anymore because they did lose to Clemson and they had the tiebreaker over Miami. I just think when it gets to that game, Trevor Lawrence is going to put on a clinic like he did a couple of years ago in that Cotton Bowl when they played Notre Dame. And it's going to be – I think it's going to be ugly when they play Clemson. I think it's going to be like three-touchdown win type thing. And and I don't know. Maybe you feel different. But, I mean, that game is going to be great in a couple of weeks. I would like to see a game like they played a few weeks back, a, a kind of punch-for-punch punch shootout. No storming Trevor the field, and, Yeah, no storming the field. Absolutely no storming the field. Honestly, if you storm the field at a conference championship game anyway – I have a little bit less respect for you because that's a weird time to do it. But yeah. anyway, um, you know, Ian book and Trevor Lawrence could be a good quarterback matchup. And I, I couldn't agree with you more about Ian book. I don't know if he's absolutely cleared this huge hurdle, but he's definitely turned a corner since that game. And they've really found their rhythm since then. And I think really the North Carolina game was a prime spot for them to be upset because North Carolina had been playing well and got a little bit of a rhythm. So for them to come in and find them, find themselves in that game, maybe even a little bit shocked early on with that first catch and that first drive for them to kind of settle in, come back and win that game. Uh, the score was a little bit, not necessarily indicative of how close the game was, but I would say comfortably win that game was, was a big victory for them moving forward. Yeah. And I think here, I'm going to go ahead and put this out there. I already said it, you know, when we started talking about this game, look, I'm, I'm not a Notre Dame fan, okay? I root for them to lose as much as possible. I just don't like the way they carry themselves and fans and all that kind of stuff. Really like a Stephen A. type Dallas Cowboys thing, right? Like I'll just admit flat out I don't like Notre Dame. But I do admit Brian Kelly is the best coach for that school, and he does get the most out of his players every single year, especially when people think they're going to have a down year and they end up going 9-3 and three or 10-2, and two, whatever it may be. And here's an early prediction, way, way early prediction, of 2021, hopefully a better year for all of us. Mac Brown, Sam Howe, North Carolina, ACC championship in 2021. That is a prediction I'm making. I'm going to go ahead and clip that whenever this episode comes out, and we'll remember that. Yeah, we'll save that. <laughs> um, but that was those were the two best games on Friday. You did have the Civil War of Oregon State and Oregon. 
Um, felt a little weird that Oregon State won the game and you had the crowd noise of, you know, it was one of those things where like you try not to pay attention to the crowd noise, but like it was a huge upset and like, you know, they're acting like fans are running the, you know, the field type thing. But those were the best games on Friday. Iron Bowl. I mean, look, I would still want to go to that game, even if it was a game like on Saturday where Bama won 42 to 13 with Mac Jones, 302 passing yards. And also today, November 30th, six-year anniversary of the kick six. Um, so the Iron Bowl, uh, man, it just wasn't good. No. No, it, it was funny waking up, um, I suppose, as this airs, it'll be yesterday now, but it was it was funny waking up and seeing that all over my Twitter feed and Instagram feed and and seeing that clip in such an iconic moment of college football and, and then hearing – hearing the announcers for Auburn say, this might be the craziest Iron Bowl ever, the, the craziest game ever played. And then I think back to Saturday and I was like, nope, nobody was saying that on Saturday. Not even Alabama fans. They're like, this is just another bump in the road that we're just going to clear and keep going. Every time I tuned into that game, it was Alabama's in the end zone. Alabama's got a big game. Alabama's moving the field. I'm sorry for those that thought Auburn was going to be in this game, but Alabama absolutely said they were not having it. They all looked fantastic. That's why Alabama's Alabama. Uh, and don't forget that Nick Saban did not coach in this game. Nick Saban was on his couch yeah. watching this game in, in some degree. Steve I'm Sarkeesian sure he's – coach on Saturday. What's that? Steve Sarkeesian was the coach on Saturday. Yeah, Steve well, and, and I'm sure Nick Saban was probably more connected than a normal person would be watching. He's not just sitting there with a the remote in his hand and, and a beer in one hand thinking, oh, I'm just going to watch the game. No, he's connected. But that's how good this football team is. That's how good Alabama is. And there's no doubt about it. This is the Alabama team that is going to make the playoff. I don't, I don't even think that that's a bold prediction. I don't know if that's even a prediction. I think it's just a foregone conclusion. Yeah, I think they've also only missed the playoff one time in the playoff era. Think mm -hmm. about that. I'll say it again. I, they've only missed the playoff one time in the playoff era. Incredible. I mean, just – and I mean, look, it's still the Iron Bowl. I don't, you know, typically you'll get that in rivalry games. You know, you might have a team blow out one another, but then you might have a team one year that's not so good and takes it, you know, and, and might win. It's just that's how rivalry games are. Um, by the second quarter, though, the game was over. I, I mean, it wasn't, you know. I Northwestern Michigan State. I mean, look, we're not the only people who thought Northwestern was going to run the last three games, but it is college football. And that being said, you can't always count your eggs before they hatch in college football. Northwestern did come back and score in the second half, 17-3, 17-6, 17-13. Things were getting interesting, and then Michigan State just kind of pulled away, really, at the end, 29-20. I don't know where Northwestern goes from here. I think it's stagnant at this point. I think you read off a list to me of Northwestern's remaining games, and, and I felt 100% confident that they would win all three of them, Michigan State obviously being the first one. And here we are. And, and I think this, more than anything, solidifies Ohio State as the best team in the Big Ten. 
of course, you know, they, they had their COVID issues and, and ended up having to cancel a game, et cetera. But right when I thought Northwestern could come in and, and be competitive and, and maybe give them a game in the championship game, after seeing what Indiana did to them and thinking there was an outside shot, then for them to lose to Michigan State, look, I, I realize parity is not necessarily the thing. They beat them, and then that means they'll beat them, whatever. But Ohio State, I think, solidified themselves as the best team in the Big Ten, and they didn't even have to play on Saturday to do it. Yeah, and Herb Street actually said it on uh, game day on Saturday. He said, look, Northwestern's probably going to beat Michigan State. They're probably going to beat Minnesota. They're probably going to beat Illinois. And then, hey, they have Ohio State and Indy. I'm just saying, watch out. And he was talking about the playoffs. That's all out the window. You can't have a one-loss Northwestern team. Things need to really happen in their favor, like a lot of chaos going forward, especially with Texas A&M, the way they looked on Saturday, you know, uh, playing against LSU. But another another good weekend of college football. Um, a, a couple other news and notes, though, from college football. Uh, we had the Buffalo running back uh, score eight touchdowns. Um, that was insane. Yeah, Jared Patterson – People will say, people often throw that term around video game numbers. Um, and usually you hear it in conjunction with Patrick Mahomes, I feel like is, is the guy you most commonly hear it with. But 36 carries for 409 yards and eight touchdowns, that's not video game numbers. That's create a player numbers. That's you, that's you move all the stats to 99 and NCAA 14 and say, I'm just going to run the table with this dude. And, and he did it. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't even know what else to say other than insane. That's what it was, insane. Uh, Sarah Fuller, man, what an awesome uh, moment that was, you know, having the one kick uh, kickoff now. Yeah, Missouri won 41 nothing, but that doesn't take away from the historic moment. Literally, history was set on the field on Saturday in uh, Columbia, Mizzou. Yeah, big moment for for college football and in, in the – um, I, I've been I've been saying the hashtag play like a girl. Um, it, it's obviously exciting. It, it's a huge moment for sports and a huge step forward. Uh, and, and Sarah in her interview after the game said something to the degree of and, and I'll probably misquote her. Un, unfortunately, I don't have it in my head, but uh, this is a step for all the younger girls to see that they can achieve their dreams, too. And I 100 percent agree. And, and I'm proud of her. I'm proud of Vanderbilt for, for coming to her and, and letting her have and giving her that opportunity, I should say to do it and, and her succeeding in doing it. Um, but I uh, man, Vanderbilt, can, can you get across midfield to give her a shot at an extra point or a field goal or something? I mean, I've watched that game the whole first half, just thinking if you could put together one competent drive to get yourself across midfield, we could get her an extra point or a field goal. Never happened. The ultimate shoot yourself in the foot. But I mean, the, the coach ended up getting fired Derek Mason only a couple of days later. So that's certainly a reflection of how poor the team overall has been this year. Yeah, 0-8, not good if you want to keep your job as a coach in the SEC. SEC football just means more, Ryan. It just means more, okay? Um, but no, another good week of college football. Um, some very, very exciting games uh, coming up this weekend that we'll touch on the preview uh, episode on Friday. But, all right, Ryan, we got another great interview, Trey Wingo. I mean, this is going to be a good one. Yeah, this is a fantastic interview. And I, I think I told you this too off air, but I would talk to Trey every week regarding football. And it felt like it's somebody that we've known for a while and, and could talk to him every week. So a lot of great insight there. Uh, one other quick thing too, just for our listeners, 
there's there's a couple very small audio skips. There was a couple just mini breaks in the audio, uh, kind of breaking up as we did the interview. They're hardly noticeable. Um, and, and compliments to you, Ryan, for being able to kind of piece those together as we move through. But uh, just so you guys know, there there was some very slight audio issues in this, but nothing that's going to affect your listening experience, if you will. And now our interview with Trey Wingo. All right. We now welcome one to the show, the former co-host of ESPN's Golick and Wingo, an anchor in SportsCenter, host of NFL Live and sports media mogul, Mr. Trey Wingo. Trey, thank you for joining the two, two Ryan Sports Show today. Well, listen, uh, any, uh, any show that refers to me as a mogul, I'm in. So I appreciate that. That's very nice of you. That's that's what Adnan Burke told us. We, we said he was a sports media legend. And he's like, legend might be a stretch. And I, see, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I would go with a maven for him. He seems like a maven to me. I, I, and I'll, I'll tell him that I said that I think they should have called you a maven. I think that would have been good. <laughs> we'll, we'll remember that for next time. And whenever we're introducing him again, I'll, I'll make my script up for him. And um, But yeah, so Trey, again, thank you for joining in today. And uh, we're, we're big football guys too. So there's obviously a lot to talk about in a, in a crazy season, but uh, a lot of a lot of interesting stuff going on and, and all types of facets. But uh, the first question I want to start with, just looking at the teams in general and, and kind of a scope of the NFL, who are the, which team is the biggest surprise story and which team is the biggest disappointment coming out of 2020 so far? Well, look, I'd have to say that Pittsburgh is surprising me a little bit because, I mean, look, they won eight games last year with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. So uh, Mike Tomlin is finally getting the credit he deserves. He's gone 14 straight non-losing seasons to start his career. Only one other coach has done that. That's Marty Schottenheimer. But I wasn't expecting Ben to be this good, and I wasn't expecting them to find yet another gem outside of the first round as a wide receiver in Chase Claypool. I mean, the Steelers' history of drafting wide receivers outside of the first round that are great is incredible. Mike Wallace, Emmanuel Sanders, Antonio Brown, uh, Chase Claypool, Hudson, all of these, James Washington, all of these guys were not taken in the first round. They have, they've made a factory out of finding receivers that don't go in the first round. I mean, even, hell, you go back to Heinz Ward, who played quarterback, and they made him a wide receiver. So they is how good they've been. As far as teams that are disappointing, for a variety of reasons, it's hard not to say the Cowboys. Look, the Dak Prescott injury was brutal and it was horrible, but they were horrendous before that even started. So, uh, you know, I thought both the Eagles and the Cowboys were the two good teams uh, in the NFC East. Technically, they still both have a chance to win the division. Uh, I mean, three, six and one. Woo! That's top in the league right there. But I, I'd say the Cowboys and the Eagles, uh, for different reasons, are just uh, complete dumpster fires and very disappointing. Yeah, Trey, uh, speaking of uh, teams, we've joked about it on the podcast. We might as well be a Raiders uh, podcast because we love Vegas and what they're doing this season, especially yep. uh, heading into the stretch. I mean, look, last night, that game against Kansas City, they they could have won that game. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes is, uh, you know, a very good quarterback, obviously. Uh, what is your thoughts on Vegas? Because Josh Jacobs, Derek Carr, Henry Ruggs, very good, solid offensive line and defensive line, both sides of the ball. This is a team that I feel like is like Tennessee from last year. When they get into the playoffs, they might make uh, some noise and, and make a run for it. Yeah, look, first of all, Derek Carr couldn't have played better, right? Let's just be honest about that. Derek Carr absolutely balled out last night and did his job. I mean, like there were a couple of drops that were easily catchable balls. That wasn't on him. He made some incredible throws and he scores 
the go-ahead touchdown with 143 left in the game. That's your job. This is why wins and losses are not a quarterback stat. Because was there anybody that thought, okay, Patrick Mahomes has the chance. He's got, what, two timeouts? <laughs> okay, we're good. I mean, he's just, he's ridiculous. And I, look, I, I jokingly say it all the time, but I believe it. He's Hall of Famer, Patrick Mahomes. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that barring a colossal collapse, the likes of which we've never seen, I think he may go down as the best to ever do it. I'm not a ring counter. I want to be clear about that. I'm not a ring counter. I'm not a guy that says, how many rings do you have? That makes you great. To me, being the best is, are you the best at what you do? And the, right now, there's Patrick Mahomes, and the gap between him and whoever you want to put second is pretty bleeping large, and he's still learning the game. Uh, the Raiders are a great team. They just happen to play in a terrible division for them right now because Patrick Mahomes is only in his third season as a starter. I love what John Gruden has done. Uh, we, you didn't mention Darren Waller, and I think that's a huge part of their success as well. Much in the same way Travis Kelsey came through with the game-breaking uh, and game-winning touchdown late, that's what Waller does. Like, you know, this is a guy who had his issues in Baltimore, got himself cleaned up, and he's a, he's a matchup nightmare. Because let, let's go through what you just said. You have the hammer in Josh Jacobs. You have the burner in, uh, in, in rugs. You have Nelson Aguilar, who is not the same Nelson Aguilar he was in Philadelphia when he's not supposed to be the number one guy. And then you throw Waller into the mix. That's a problem. That's a real problem. And you mentioned the defensive line. You know, Cleveland Furl has been okay. But the kid they got in the fourth round, Max has been Max Crosby has been phenomenal. Um, they're a really, really good football team that just has the misfortune of playing in the same division as the guy I believe is going to be the grand master of time, space, and dimension when it's all said and done in Patrick Mahomes. Well, it's funny you say that because that was actually my next question about Patrick Mahomes, where you think he would end up all time. But I think there's even some contention to that now because folks are saying, how can you judge a Hall of Fame resume off only three seasons? But, but to a lot of people's point, the, the argument is, is how good are you over a span of time and are you at the best at what you do? And, and to your point, Patrick Mahomes is clearly head and shoulders above the next person. Yeah, I mean, the, the best comp, if you want to go down that road, is Gail Sayers, right? Gail Sayers really only had three seasons where he was completely healthy. And then he had two or three others where he was just hanging on by a threat. Gail Sayers was the first ballot Hall of Famer. And a lot of people say to you to this day, the greatest running back I ever saw was Gail Sayers. You know, what's that'll give me 18 inches of daylight. That's all I need. So you have to be that spectacularly good to break the longevity mold because you're right. For most, for most people to get in the hall of fame, it's about availability. How long can you play? If Patrick Mahomes, you know, God forbid, knock on every piece of wood we can find. If there's some sort of injury. I don't think anyone's going to look at him and say, yeah, he wasn't really that good. I, I, I just, I, give you the example they put the graphic up last night he's the fastest to 100 he's the fastest to you know the, the over the first whatever 50 games of his career the, the most yards the most touchdowns all these kind of things but what what defines him to me is, is this we, we looked this up earlier this year we define third and long as third and seven or better or longer right and so what's the metric when you're third and seven well his qbr on a scale of one to 100 or zero to 100 when it's third and long is 99 99 okay i mean it, there's only one thing you can do better and that would be perfect so there's never a situation where you feel like you're out of it and I'll give you an example as well um since the start of last year including the playoffs the chiefs are seven and one 
in games in which at one point they're down by double digits. You know, we saw that happen three times in the postseason last year. Put that another way. On any other metric with any other team, that's the best winning percentage since the start of 2019. There's no, there's nothing else. Why? Because they have that guy. I mean, Andy Reid said it in the postgame press conference yesterday. I have Pat Mahomes. I knew we we're gonna feel we we're gonna get the field goal and we were probably going to win the game. He didn't, even need, he didn't even need the time. He took It was a minute 43 left. I think he did it with 20 seconds to go. It's like, okay, man, best of luck to you. It's just he's a ridiculous human being right now. Speaking of quarterbacks, what's happened with Carson from year one and year two where uh, he seems like he has not taken the growth that Jared has? I mean, look, they're always going to be connected, right? They're picks one and two. Yeah. But what's happened where it seems like he has not taken the growth? I don't think it's the injury at this point. I just feel like there's something missing where it's not clicking for him anymore, like it was in the first Yeah, season. you're right. And what's really strange about it, like last year, let's be honest, they was, there was garbage around him in terms of wide receivers down the stretch. And he found a way to get it done and make it into the playoffs. You know, he, he's – Herm Edwards, my, my good friend always says, you know, he's, it's like a waffle house. He's just serving him up right now. He, you know, he's only had one game this year where he hasn't had an interception. He had two more yesterday. Um, I, I, I wish I could tell you what it is because he's not the same guy. I mean, he was an MVP before he got hurt in 2017. He was going to be the MVP of the league. And then he's come back and played very well after that in 2018 and 2019. But the, it's just the NFC East is just it's, it's emblematic, I guess, of the of the entire NFC East because he's playing well below his standard right now. And you have to have a serious question like they're still in first place by virtue of a tie that people hated, by the way. But that tie may be the one thing that gives them the division because everyone else is going to be awful. Um, and, and so I, I, you have to at some point, if you're Doug Peterson, say, OK, what gives us the best chance to win? Because I. I'm not saying Jalen Hurts does give us the best chance to win, but if Carson continues to turn it over like this, he's got 14 interceptions, um, you know, through what, 11 games, 10 games. That's not a winning formula. Um, and, and so you say to yourself, well, we're still in first place. I mean, I guess you're three, six and one, you know, everyone else is three. And so, and by the way, this is the first time we've ever had a division since the merger of, 1970, we're week 11, and no one has more than three wins in the division. So we're in historically direct territory right now. That's, that's how bad all of this is. At some point, you have to say to yourself, is Carson giving us the best chance to win? And do we need to find out if Jalen Hurts can do that? I have no idea if he can, but right now what you're getting out of Carson simply isn't good enough. It's just not good enough. Well, and, and you, did, you may not know this. We, we didn't say this coming in, but um... – Ryan is, a, is an Eagles fan and, and you would have known this. I'm a Steelers fan. So it, it you know, we, we kind of see this on two different sides of the quarterback spectrum. Yeah, uh, slightly. The, the, the stat that I saw today was is that Wentz has 14 interceptions and 10 fumbles. Now I don't believe that's 10 fumbles yeah. lost, but certainly no. not a winning formula for your, your franchise quarterback. No, that, that was, the, and that's the same problem that Jameis Winston has battled. It's never just been the intercept. I'm sorry. Uh, Jameis to some degree, but Daniel Jones, it's not just the interceptions for Jones. He has ball security issues. So, you know, you, they give you that ball for a reason, you know, it, it's a hold on to it and take care of it. And, and he's not doing that right now. Um, conversely, you know, it's, the Pittsburgh Steelers have been amazing. It's just, I, I, I just hope people fully appreciate Mike Tomlin. I mean, that obviously we know that Ben is a huge difference, but you know, Mike Tomlin's a guy that's sort of taken some slings and arrows over the years, sort of, you know, well, you know, they have all this tent and all this and that, Look, Pittsburgh doesn't date a coach. They marry them. 
one of my favorite stats in all of football, I which is that. sort of, which is sort of football since 1970 popes five Steelers head coaches three. Okay. They make a long-term commitment. So they knew what they were getting into. I mean, they've been to, they've been to a couple and they've won one. It just so happens, unfortunately for Tomlin, that he was doing arguably his best job when we were looking at the greatest dynasty in the history of football. I don't think it's, that's even in dispute anymore. You know, 17 straight years that they've had at least 10 wins in New England. That's probably going to end this year. They've gone to nine Super Bowls. Like I joke with Archie Manning all the time. You know, thank God you had children because otherwise Brady might have 10 by now or 11 because Eli beat him twice, right, in a Super Bowl and Peyton beat him three times in an AFC championship game. And I'm willing to concede that maybe the, the uh, Seahawks that beat him, that beat Peyton Manning so bad in Super Bowl 48 would be the only team that might have beaten the Patriots. Might have been the only one. Uh, they were beating that Bears team, I promise you that. Uh, and, you know, so – I if he didn't have children, Brady might have one plus one. I mean, he might have one for each ring. And where do I put the 11th? I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. We're talking Bill Russell territory at that. And that's, that's very elite company to be in uh, regarding the Steelers though. One last question on my end, you know, we, we talk about coach Tomlin and obviously Chuck Noll and Bill Cowher are both hall of famers and there's no debate about that. And I think Tomlin's headed that path. But this year, especially looking at Big Ben, why is Big Ben so disrespected throughout national media and, and folks? I don't put a lot of stake in power rankings. Sure. But why is Big Ben getting getting so much disrespect when he's having such a great year overall? You know, it's, it's interesting, right? Yeah, I, I was just I was actually literally just on with a Tennessee station uh, radio station. They asked me the same question. Here's the problem: like Ben is decidedly old school. Six four, probably twenty pounds overweight. You know, slow, lumbersome, and you compare that to what we're seeing from Mahomes or Lamar or Deshaun, and it doesn't look the same anymore, right? Now, I'm not saying that's correct. I'm just saying I think that's part of it. Like, oh my God, like you saw the the play Deshaun did yesterday, where he danced around in the backfield, made a million people miss, and then bulldozed his way in the end zone. That's not Ben. Like Ben is Ben is great at getting away from the rush. There's no question about it. Cause he's, he's, that's like tackling a bear. It's a, it's, you know, it's hard to get him down, but he's not going to be slick like those guys are like, no one's going to like the spin move last season against the Bengals for Lamar Jackson. Ben doesn't do that. You know, that's not who he is. All he is, is finding that, Holy hell, I'm a big guy. I can hang in the pocket and I've got really good wide receivers and I'm going to do it. Like what his, his numbers are what 24 and five on those, his numbers on the year. Yeah, and, and two of his interceptions, I, I say this as, as a fan, I am a little biased in that respect, but two of those interceptions are last plays of the first half. So yeah. ones that didn't affect Mary. them. Yeah, yeah that didn't yeah. affect them overall in the game. And those are great numbers. But then there's Mahomes. He has 27 touchdowns and only two. In it. I mean, I, Mahomes is going to finish with 40-plus touchdowns and probably five interceptions on the year. That's a hard thing to beat, like – now, if the Steelers run the table, I think Ben might, might could win the MVP, but I think it's going to take something like that. It's, it's almost unfair because Ben has, Ben's a Hall of Fame quarterback and he's been doing it for a long-ass time. And I had, I had my doubts coming back from the elbow. Like, there's not many guys close to 40 that can say, oh, this thing that's worked for me forever, it's just going to be fine again. But he has, and it's been absolutely remarkable. Um, he has been absolutely underappreciated this year. Some of that is because, like I said, I think, we're looking at the next goat 
And some of that is because he doesn't, he doesn't play like those guys. That doesn't mean he's not effective. That doesn't mean he's not very good. They just can do things athletically that, that are not part of his repertoire right now. If Big Ben ever makes a spin move, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm falling out of my chair. And that's just, that's the end of the world. Put it on a constant loop on Twitter and Instagram. I'll make it every, it'll be my profile picture everywhere. I guarantee you that. Uh, Trey, last question before we let you go. Uh, thank you for your time. Um, look, uh, we almost had a doomsday scenario with the World Series, right? Where yeah. if they would have won, in, <clears throat> it would have taken it to a game seven. Um, look, I, I don't know what the Super Bowl is going to look like this year, but if there is a scenario, you know, give us what do you think it'll look like? Me- Media Row, the Super Bowl. What if there is a delay during Super Bowl week where t- – you know, there is a massive outbreak on the team because, look, let's not try to deny the fact that players are still not going to go out, especially during Super Bowl week. You know, even with their masks on and everything, there's still going to be things that are happening. They're going to go to events. They're going to do interviews. What is that going to look like uh, as we head into the Super Bowl season? Well, you know, I, I think the idea of Media Row and whatever it's always been is going to be nothing. I mean, that's that's my I just don't think it's going to happen unless, you know, we start popping out that vaccine. The NFL First of all, I think we, we, we would all agree that we're heading into week 12 and there've been disruptions, but they've been minimal, right? Uh, I, I think that if I said to you guys in the middle of July, when training camp started, we're gonna get to week 12 and things are pretty much gonna go as planned. We had all would have signed up for that. I mean, yeah, we've had some, you know, the Tennessee Titans outbreak and, you know, a couple of things have gone sour, but the one thing that's been remarkable to me, and this is, you know, the Steelers Ravens game a few weeks ago comes to mind. You know, Marlon Humphrey tested positive after playing in that game. We have yet to see a transmission from a player on one team to a player on another team. And we worried about that after the Chiefs uh, Patriots game where that picture of Stephon Gilmore and Patrick Mahomes hugging afterwards, like, oh, my God, what are we doing? That hasn't happened yet. And I, I, I don't know why that hasn't happened yet. I'm thrilled that it hasn't happened yet. But that to me, that's the doomsday scenario is when a player test positive, and then the team that he was playing against, those players test positive. We still haven't seen that. As for the Super Bowl, man, I, I think the bubble is going to be as tight as they can possibly make it this year because the look, other teams have lost money. Other sports, excuse me, have lost money during the pandemic. The NFL has not lost money. They're just not making as much money, and they like money they're going to do whatever they can to make sure we get this thing across the goal line and i i i think that it's going to be a very different super bowl uh, i don't think there's going to be a lot of people down there i don't think it's going to be a massive media attended thing i think it's going to be way scaled back and i would imagine even media day and all those things will probably done remotely just for what you said to protect the players as best as they can it's going to be different and it's going to be weird but we're going to get through it and 2021 is going to be awesome well, then with that, right before we let you go with Super Bowl, then who do you have in the Super Bowl, AFC, NFC? Well, I, I made this prediction at the beginning of the year, uh, and, and my prediction was the Chiefs and the Saints. And the reason was uh, I, I think the offseason is going to help teams that have stability. Now, the obviously injury to uh, Drew Brees changes that dramatically. Um, and I, I don't – there's not a team I trust right now in the NFC, right? Like every week – oh, this team is the best team in the NFC. And then they go lay an egg. I mean, like how the Bucs could get destroyed by the Saints after losing week one. I mean, they, they basically have no chance to win the division now, barring a massive collapse by New Orleans. So then you look at a team like Green Bay. Well, then they just get run over by Minnesota. And then they have a big lead against the Indianapolis Colts and they can't finish against them. 
So there's not a team that I look at the NFC and say, I trust this team right now. If the Rams beat the Bucs tonight, maybe we'll start having that conversation for a few weeks. But there's a rotating team in the NFC like week to week. But here's the one thing I will say in the AFC, and I'm not trying to upset you as a Steelers fan. Not at all. Until somebody runs out the clock on that MFR in Kansas City, good luck. Like, it could happen, but I'm not going to believe it till I see it. 24 down to Houston? Not a problem. 10 down to Tennessee twice in the AFC Championship game? We're good. Wait a minute. We've scored 10 points with eight minutes to play in the Super Bowl against a ferocious defense? Hold my beer, okay? That dude, I mean, let's just look at the Super Bowl real quick. He was having the worst game here, Patrick Mahomes was, until he decided not to, right? Third and 15. You know what? I'll just wasp. Boom. Over the middle. And then another touchdown. MVP, and you're like, how the hell did that happen? Because he was tired of, and he just decided to win. And the greatest attribute any athlete can have. Russell in the AFC, NFC Championship game in 2014 or 2014, having the worst game of his life. Then they get the onside kick. Holy hell, we have a chance? Clicked it in. Super Bowl 51, worst game of his life until Dante Hightack turns the whole thing around, flips it on like a switch. The greatest can flip the switch when it matters most. And that guy flips the switch better than anybody I've ever seen. So Steelers might be a better team, but until someone taps them out when it matters, I think Kansas City is the team to beat. You're not going to offend me at all. We, we all know how good number 15 in Kansas City is. <laughs> the dude can play. It's, it's obvious week in and week out. But we'll, we'll see how it all goes in the playoffs. I, I, I still think he's the MVP clear cut, but that's – I do too. That's a, that's a different conversation. But – uh, again, Trey, we really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to talk football with us today. Um, going going into the rest of this season and everything, I hope that you, all of your family, loved ones, everybody continues to stay safe. Uh, enjoy the rest of the season, and, and maybe we'll catch you again down the line sometime. Guys, anytime. Uh, always glad to chop it up. And uh, you guys, too, stay safe and be well and have a great Thanksgiving. Yep, you as well. Thank you very much. Ryan, wow, what a great interview, right? Is Trey coming back next week? <laughs> yeah, let's get him on a weekly uh, occurring <laughs> segment. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, especially when he was talking about how Big Ben, you know, he feels like he doesn't get respect. And, you know, he was talking about the Steelers wide receivers and he's talking about the Super Bowl. I mean, that interview was so good uh, from point A to point B. And he actually went uh, a couple minutes over what, you know, time he was giving us. But he was a great interview, very gracious with his time. Um, yeah, no, another great interview. Some great quotes in there. I've I've been laughing about the uh, Archie Manning soundbite for, yeah. for a few days now because that's that's a very funny soundbite. Um, yeah, and and him talking about uh, Vegas. I mean, you know, I feel like he's uh, right there with us, right? Like he 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 thinks the Raiders uh, could be something going forward. But you know, let's talk about NFL weekend recap. Let's do Thanksgiving first, then we'll jump back to our Raiders. Okay, we'll, we'll go backwards, then forwards. Our Raiders. Our Raiders, that's <laughs> right. Uh, we're Vegas um, Raiders fans here. But Houston, Detroit, oh, boy. I mean, if you <laughs> talk about a Thanksgiving nap game like I was talking about, right? 41-25. I mean, Zach Cunningham, now 110 tackles, first in the league. That guy is going to get a real nice contract extension or a nice contract period at the end of the year. And then you had Will Fuller. I'm just going to read off Will Fuller and Deshaun Watson. Will Fuller, 
six receptions, 171 yards, two touchdowns. Not a big deal. Deshaun Watson, 17 for 25, 318 yards, four touchdowns. Oh, by the way, one of those was on a reverse from Duke Johnson, of all people, to Will Fuller. And the Lions fired Matt Patricia. And it feels like when they hired Matt Patricia, everyone was like, oh, my gosh, they got their guy. Like, they got their guy. It was another Belichick disciple, right? He, he's going to implement the system. He's going to know how to work it. He's been with Belichick the longest. He, he knows the ins and outs of the system and how to get players and, and yada, yada, yada. Well, when they hired Matt Patricia, I wasn't one of those people because really Belichick disciples have not proved themselves. To tell you the truth, the only person I think out of a Belichick disciple that's proved themselves is, ironically enough, Bill O'Brien, not in Houston. Not not in Houston last couple of years, but Houston, like the early years, actually, before he got the GM role and Penn State, the one year he had after, you know, the Penn State scandal. Mm-hmm. But then you had Josh McDaniels, who I still think at some point is going to get a head coaching job. And it might even be this year because he's a really good uh, offensive coordinator and he deserves a head coaching job. Um, but I mean, it just wasn't a good game at, at all. And I find myself not only... laughing at the fact that the lions took two steps backwards when they hired Matt Patricia and the way that everything's gone for him as the head coach in Detroit, but Jim Caldwell wasn't a bad coach. He got the most out of that team and he got him to the playoffs two out of four seasons in his time in Detroit. And it's like, come on lions. Like, what are you doing? Like two out of four seasons in Detroit. That's pretty good. And one of those games, they should have won to tell you the truth. If it wasn't for a penalty called on wild card weekend against the Cowboys. So I don't know. What's your thoughts on this game? Yeah, that's still a bogus penalty. I, I know exactly what play you're talking about, but um, the, the biggest takeaway that I have from this game is, is you talked about contracts and it pertains to Zach Cunningham, but talk about the contract that Deshaun Watson got. So people might even thought it was a little ludicrous at first, but Deshaun Watson can play football. He is a great football player. And, and it's a shame that he's been in a bad situation this year with a team that's just not winning games. And I, and I actually believe that Trey tweeted this out after the game, um, after the Thursday game, he said something along the lines of quarter or wins are not a quarterback stat. And Deshaun Watson proved that. And, and of course they won this game. That's, that's obviously not the, not the case, but Deshaun Watson plays well enough, typically week in and week out for a team to win. But when you can't stop anything, when you can't run the ball, when you can't do those other things, it makes it difficult. Deshaun Watson's a great football player. He could be a Patrick Mahomes type player. He's not Patrick Mahomes level in my opinion, but he is that same type of electric player that gives a team life to do it. Now, as of tonight, one of the big, uh, one of the big pieces of news, you mentioned Will Fuller too. A uh, big breakout game, but he's now out six games, suspended six games as of tonight. Um, so that's that's a big breaking story from the from the Texans side of it. So obviously they're not going to have him. Texans aren't going to make a big playoff push anyway. So that's, it's an unfortunate loss because Fuller's been hurt with the Lions. Everybody gives the Browns a lot of flack as as the perennial worst franchise in in football. I don't think enough people mention the Lions. That, that's a team that has been on a huge downward spiral since like 1957. And, and people just don't seem to think that they're that bad because, oh, if Matt Stafford 
had some people around. Well, they've never done that. They've never given him the opportunity to have that. And the one player that he did that was a generational talent did the exact same thing that the generational talent before him did. Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders both said, I'm out. One playoff win since the 90s. And at least the Browns have been to a conference championship game, although it be in the 80s. But still, they've been there at least. Like Detroit, one playoff win since the 90s. And I feel like Matt Stafford, he's been in the league long enough to where it's like time is getting on like the backside of him because he does take a lot of hits. And like at least like Matt Ryan, you know, is two years older than Matt Stafford, you know, came in in 07, Stafford came in in 09. But with the way that Stafford takes hits and he keeps getting injured and I'm starting to think that maybe Stafford only has like maybe three or four seasons left to tell you the truth because at some point that window closes and franchises start to say themselves, okay, we got to tear it down, build it back up. And, you know, that's the kind of mentality that you need to have if you're going to try to have some sort of possible success going forward. Yeah, Matt, the, the Lions don't have a Matt Stafford problem. Matt Stafford has a Lions problem. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great quote. Let, let's put that on a bumper sticker. I mean, that's <laughs> a great quote. Um, the second game on Thanksgiving, you had Washington 41, Dallas 16. Oh boy. Oh boy, Dallas. Oh, oh my goodness, Dallas. What were you doing in the fourth quarter running a fake punt? What were you doing inside your own 30? What were you thinking? I mean, come on guys. I understand John Fossil. He did that kind of stuff in LA and he is a, he's a go for the type, you know, fake punt, fake field goal type of special teams coach. And that might get him a head coaching job one day, college or NFL, but you cannot do that. Oh my gosh. When you're only down at you, you, you're only down by one score. You know what I'm saying? And Gibson for Washington, 20 carries, 115 yards, three touchdowns. He's the first rookie on a Thanksgiving game to have three touchdowns since uh, you might have heard of this guy, Randy Moss, 1998 against Dallas. Name's and familiar. Terry McLaurin, he's first in the league in receiving. So <laughs> I don't un- – and it's not like it faked anyone out. Like sometimes you get those fake puns like where you get like a couple yards – they were so prepared for it. They did. I mean, it's almost like they lost like seven, eight yards on the play. And it's just like, whoa, that means the game is over after running that play. Like that late, like if you did have that in the first quarter, people wouldn't be talking about it as much. I wouldn't be talking about it, but to do it as late as you did, it's just like, come on guys. And Mike McCarthy, <clears throat> you know, and the shot of him and Jerry Jones, both looking deflated after the loss. It's like, can you really, expect anything else your franchise quarterback he's out for the season right Ezekiel Elliott he's not played well all year Amari Cooper does he does he even still have a cowboy uniform I haven't seen him all years he is he even in the field like hello and you just keep thinking to yourself oh my gosh they still have a chance it's a division like it's just that type of season in the NFC East what's your thoughts on the horrific fake punt that was in Dallas and the game. The the funniest part about the fake punt to me was actually the aftermath of it. Whenever they're doing the interview with McCarthy after the game 
and he comes out and says, why defend that call? We had the right play call. Um, let me tell you something as somebody who's never worked a day in the NFL in his life, you didn't have the right play call because it didn't work. The right play call works. And, and I realize there are situations where balls are dropped or it's fumbled or, or something like that. That play call was not right. And how many ever million people watched that game on Thursday? They also know the play call wasn't right because it was absolutely blown up. I'm sorry, if you're going to run fake punts like that, you're basically weeding yourself out of the division. Now, one other thing that I do want to say is, is as bad as the Cowboys were, a couple names that you mentioned, Antonio Gibson and Terry McLaurin, the football team's maybe not as bad as we thought they are and are building something in Washington. I'm not going to go out here and say that they're the, the next great team of the NFC East because that division surprises us every year, but they're putting together some young pieces. The one thing that they're missing, I think, is their quarterback of the future. And you may say that it's Dwayne Haskins, but Rivera has came out and, and said that he's probably not going to be back. It's certainly not Alex Smith. They're not going to build around a guy who's been in the league for 15 years. So I think the quarterback position is still a question. But the skill guys and guys like Chase Young and other players around him, I think the football team is, is putting together some nice pieces to go into this. Who knows? Who knows where the football team might be in three to five years? Yeah, and here's a little nugget for you. There has not been a back-to-back -back winner of the NFC Least Division since 2005. So that means we're due for someone new to win the division yet again because – that's just how the cookie crumbles and the NFC least. Ryan, you've been waiting all weekend. I think you've literally been waiting all weekend to get the Raven Steelers thoughts. There's some of them on my Twitter. And, and let me just tell you, I, I'm not happy. I'm, I'm not happy in this at all. So let me, let me first clarify the, the number one thing about this. And I, I said this in one of our TikTok videos, and this is always the number one priority is the health and safety of the players, the staff, and the organization. I want teams to be healthy. I don't want this virus to spread. Nobody wants this virus to spread, right? Everybody wants their teams, players, everyone to be healthy. Now, the Ravens had an outbreak that was not contained. They, they disciplined, air quotes, disciplined a staffer. I don't know what that means. They disciplined the staffer that apparently caused the outbreak because he wasn't wearing a mask. That's incredibly crazy is that you allow this guy to show up every day and not wear a mask or for even a period of time and show up and not wear a mask in Maryland, in Maryland, which, you know, governor Hogan has been very adamant about these restrictions since the very beginning. So that's, that's crazy, right? So I understand the first reschedule. You're dealing with an outbreak that hasn't been contained. So you want to move it back. So you push it back to Sunday and say, we're going to get this under control. We're going to move it back. And there were some people that said, oh, this, this is terrible. They can't do this. This is going to give them a chance to get players. It's not about that. It's about the health and safety of these players, and it's about getting them on the field. So then we roll around to that, and they say, well, we still have positive tests, so we're going to have to move it back to Tuesday. At this point, we have more players that tested positive, including their former MVP, Lamar Jackson, among many others. So they move it back again to Tuesday, tonight, perceivably, which is not happening. So they move it back to what is tonight. And the Ravens yesterday are saying, well, 
we don't know if we can play this game. We haven't had time to put in a game plan and we're not sure. And how are we going to do this if we don't have the competitive edge? On Sunday, the Broncos took the field with a guy that his last time he played college football and played the quarterback position was intercepted two or three times by Clemson and got beat 63 to three. But that's, so, a, bit, that's a little different situation. Like, hold on, like the, the, just their quarterbacks, not they didn't have a team. Sure. Like it was just their quarterbacks. Sure. And it is a different situation. Absolutely. But if we're worried about competitive balance, if that's what you're upset about, then the problem is is not that because the competitive balance has been thrown off in a couple games this season, but this is an outbreak that has not been contained. And now the Ravens are being able to dictate their schedule and say, well, we didn't have meetings. This is a, this is a zoom world. This is what we're doing this podcast over. Do your meetings on zoom game plan that way. Look, if, if this was, if this was, and, and again, I think everybody knows that I'm a Steelers fan. If this is the Steelers that did this, I would be upset. I would be so upset at them to say, how can you let an outbreak like this happen, number one? And then number two, who are you to dictate the schedule? Who are you to come back and say, well, we don't know if we can play this game? Absolutely not. There's, there's two options here, in my opinion. You can't keep moving this game back because then you're going to force the NFL's hand to just keep moving back games, which you can't do. So you either create the week 18 now and, and put that as the overflow for games and have it available, or you forfeit. That's what the NFL gave the forfeit rule for. We did a poll over the weekend, and, and I think it was 16 over 23 people were in favor of forfeits. The NFL put in a forfeit policy, and they said if it was for teams that could not physically take the field or were deemed egregious, I don't know the exact language, but teams that are not able to play would be considered for a forfeit. Why, why does a team keep getting to dictate the schedule and they're worried about some competitive imbalance? Where, where's the line here? Where does one team get to step in and, and call their other team's bluff? Can't the Steelers be upset about this and say, why are we pushing our game back continually when, when we have another game that we're supposed to be preparing for right now because we should have played this game six days ago? Yeah, the Steelers have kind of caught a bad break with the with this this season, right? Like, they had a game against the Titans that was postponed. Now, when that game was moved to two weeks later, you know, it was the best game of the 1 o'clock slate, and it was very important going into the playoffs, you know, later this season. However, losing a bye week, not ideal, right? So you're kind of creating, like, a fake bye week by really postponing it you know, moving it two weeks and, you know, doing a bunch of schedule changes. We knew this going into the season that this could happen. Now it's unfortunate that it's happened to pretty much the Steelers. You know, it's not their fault. That I, I think that's why I'm more upset than probably normal is, is because both times that there's been an outbreak this season, it has affected the Steelers negatively without them doing anything necessarily wrong in the situation. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like uh, when the baseball season was coming back and the Cardinals and the Marlins both had outbreaks, those teams that were playing those teams, it's not their fault that those teams had outbreaks and couldn't control whatever it was in the building or, you know, people wearing masks, distance, whatever. But, but going forward, we're entering in the playoff phase, right? You cannot have this because when it gets to the playoff phase, look, guys are still going to go out. Guys are, you know, it's happened once. Now we're in the middle of it happening a second time. And 
Steelers play Washington Monday, so they have kind of the same amount of rest that you would on a Washington, you know, if they were to play Monday night and then play Sunday, right? So you're still really having that same type of rest, theoretically, six days. But then you move the Ravens to a doubleheader now on Monday on December 7th. Ravens-Cowboys, so the Cowboys essentially have mm, really a two-week bye, kind of, because they're not going to play this Thursday. They're, I think none of their schedule really got changed. Um, and it's just it, – it's frustrating because when you get to the playoffs, if this kind of thing happens, what are they going to do? What are they going to say? Because the, the one thing they're not going to do is – they're not going to switch the whole playoff schedule around because if this happens and the Steelers and Ravens were to play on a Tuesday during playoff weekend, then they're pushing the Super Bowl back. I know that's a possibility in their mind that they've thought about that could happen, but that's not something they want to do. And they would literally have to change the whole playoff schedule because the whole point of the playoffs for the NFL, and it always has been ever since the new TV deal. And ever since they changed it back to the format, what we see now, now it's going to seven teams, right? But the format that was put in place in 2002 was every single playoff game. And it's always been this way is its own thing. You don't have two playoff games. You know what I mean? You have, one at 115 or one 125, then you have one at 425, 445. And it's been that way every single year during the playoffs for the NFL. And I mean, they're, they're not going to want to change that because they want huge ratings and it's all going to come down to money. And in the end of it, when we get to the playoffs and this type of thing might happen, what are they going to say? Are they going to push the, the Super Bowl back to the end of February? I don't think so because they book artists, they book, media tours, you know, all this kind of stuff. And media tours are still going to happen over Zoom, probably, as Trey was saying in the interview. But I, I don't know what's going to happen going forward. And look, I'm all for having a Tuesday night football game. This is going to be the fourth one ever on a Tuesday night football game. There's been three since me and you have been alive. There's been one in 2010 due to a massive snowstorm that hit the East Coast in that that winter where Minnesota and Philly played on, on a Tuesday. It was on NBC. Then the Tuesday game a couple weeks ago, right, where Derrick Henry basically pushed Josh Norman into a second dimension and stiff-armed him. And then we're going to have this game. So they clearly, you know, Tuesday's not meant for NFL. I enjoy watching it. It's just not ideal that it's happening to one team. And outbreaks are going to happen, but if it happens during the playoffs, it's going to be a real problem because they're going to have a lot of issues rescheduling. How about this, then? So – Tomorrow, the Steelers and Ravens will now kick off at 340. It's going to be a Wednesday game. This is the first time that the Steelers have played on Wednesday since 1933. For those Steeler fans, that is their inaugural season. And the reason they did that is, is because there were laws against them having sports on Sundays. So the Steelers will play their first game since 1933, their first season in the NFL, when they were the Pirates because of the scheduling outbreak. Yeah, I I don't know what, what's going to happen going forward because playoffs are approaching, and sooner or later you need to have a plan. I mean, Major League Baseball is as they handled it at the beginning of the season with the Marlins having a massive outbreak and literally delaying three weeks of their season. They found a way to get bubbles 
for the playoffs. And it worked. It worked. Now, we could have had a crazy scenario in the World Series, right? Like where we could have had a possible delay on game seven because of a player tested positive for COVID and he had his mask down. <laughs> he was he was touching the, you know, his players and, and the World Series trophy, but whatever. But that is baseball. That's a series. Okay. One games, I'm sure they had plans in place, but going forward, it, it, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be more difficult to, to put things in place. I'm sure. Well, and one last thing I want to reiterate just one last time, the main concern of this is to get players healthy because on the Ravens, there is a player, Mark Andrews, who's a type one diabetic, James Connor on the Steelers who tested positive for COVID-19 as well. Who's a cancer survivor. I want these people to be healthy. I don't want schedule delays. Nobody wants schedule delays and nobody wants forfeits. We want to play football and we want to have it as, as normal as possible. I think my big thing in this again, just one last time is, is I just can't understand how the team that has caused this and has caused this mass hysteria gets to dictate the schedule and can overrule the NFL in, in some sense. Well, We'll, we'll see what happens going forward because I, I, I don't know. Look, I, I've said it already a couple of times. I'll say it again. I'm sure they have plans in place going forward for the playoffs and, and heading down the stretch, but you've already added a week onto the season. Anyway, typically the season ends on week 16, right? You now have week seven, uh, you know, it, it's just, you know, I, well, I don't know. I don't pizza know. and wing pizza and wings on Wednesday now. Yeah. Shout out, shout out Lefty's Wings in Morgantown. We'll have some lemon pepper wings on a Wednesday now. Yeah, I, we'll see what happens uh, with the Steelers going forward, but not ideal to now be playing on Wednesday. Um, Wednesday football. Are you ready for some Wednesday football? I'm ready for some Wednesday football and Wednesday wings. That's 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 what is most important here. Hey, wing night on Wednesdays. Where, any restaurant in America right now, wherever you are, wing night on Wednesdays. Um, to go orders on Wednesdays, you've always had a struggle, I'm sure. But uh, hey, you got an NFL game now, so buckle up, okay? Because you're gonna get some orders. Um, Atlanta, Vegas, man, Ryan, we're, we're Raiders guys this season, okay? We believe they're gonna make the playoffs. They're they're on that teetering brink, right? Because they lost to Kansas City, they lost to Atlanta, forty-three to six. Like that's a like a double take. Like what? Really? Um. Hanson didn't really even go to the game like in red zone, like after like Atlanta, like went up at, at one point. I mean, they still show every touchdown from every game credit Scott Hanson on that. Um, but I, I don't get it. I mean, they played so well and they could have beat Kansas city last week and then they lose 43 to six. Well, we've been talking this entire, this entire show and really this entire season about the NFC is kind of wide open and we kind of pick out whichever team plays well. And we've, we've kind of been doing that with the Raiders the last few weeks, right? They've been playing well. They gave a game to Kansas City. They might even be contenders. We wouldn't be surprised if they would be in the AFC championship game. After Sunday, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost 41 nothing in the first round of the playoffs now. Because how do you walk into Atlanta and completely lay an egg against a team that's just not having a great year overall. Certainly, I think they've been better since the Dan Quinn firing. But, man, how, how do you get blown out that much? The, the best thing that happened for the Raiders on Sunday was the Josh Jacobs truck stick highlight. 
And if, if you just went based on how many times you saw that, you'd have thought the Raiders won the game, not lost by a mountain. Yeah, I don't get it. I still think they'll make the playoffs. I think you do as well. Just they're in that weird scenario right now. Any team has this during the NFL season where they might lose one or two and they're on that brink, whether they could go forwards or backwards. I think they'll go forwards because I think there's enough there to where they're going to put it together heading into the playoff push. Well, and the AFC is just tight. I, I think that's the I think that's the biggest mark here is that the AFC is a tight conference right now. There's there's not a lot of leeway between these teams. And, and I think, you know, and, and I just ran it about this in the last segment, but I think that's one of the reasons that the Ravens are very cautious about this because they know their playoff hopes are, are teetering on a potential game where they could beat a division rival. Yeah, and I think we're one of, you know, I, I don't hear too many people saying that the Ravens are going to miss the playoffs, but I, I think me and you are in that boat that, they're going to miss the playoffs. <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't expect that to happen, but I, I think it will. And um, the, the difference between seven and three, six and four right now is, is, is big in the AFC. Marginal. Yeah. Um, plus Miami, you know, another win yesterday game against the Jets, whatever that's worth, you know, I mean, it's magic. <laughs> it's magic. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're in that conversation as well. So it, things are, Things are getting uh, dicey on that uh, seven and six uh, five slot in the wild card for the AFC playoff picture. But here is a huge game, human wrecking ball in Derrick Henry, Tennessee Titans, Indianapolis Colts, Titans 45, Colts 26. Look, Ryan Tannehill, something happened when he got traded or let go, I should say, and signed the one year deal in uh, Tennessee. But 13 for 22, 221, one touchdown. This is the kind of quarterback Miami thought he could be when they drafted him at, you know, eight uh, a couple years ago. Well, many years ago now. But he's actually a pretty average quarterback. Look, he's not going to – I don't think he's going to win any MVP or, you know, any offensive player, you know, awards anytime soon. But he does a fantastic job in that Tennessee system. Hey, let's just hand it to Derrick Henry as well, right? 27 carries, 178, three touchdowns. And here's a next-gen stat for you while Derrick Henry's first in the league in rushing. Derrick Henry this season on runs is averaging 21 miles per hour this season. Um, get out of the way, okay? Because this Tennessee team, they still feel like the team to me last year that made it to the AFC championship game because I think they can do it again. Look, they don't have Taylor Lewan, which is, you know, the big left tackle – but that doesn't mean that they don't have Derrick Henry. They don't have a, they still have AJ Brown. They still have Ryan Tannehill. This is a good coach, Mike Rabel team who actually is a Belichick disciple in a weird way because he was a player. Then he went to Ohio state. Then he worked in Houston. Now he's the head coach. You know what I mean? So he, he knows what he's doing. What's your thoughts on uh, pretty much what is probably going to shape the AFC South going forward. And, and they're probably going to have a home game in uh, Nashville. It's funny because I want to go back to one point you made about Ryan Tannehill being the quarterback that Miami thought he would be. Uh, so actually two things with that. Number one, I guess when you pull somebody out of Adam Gase's offense, you actually can see what kind of player they would be, right? That's a shocking development of the world. Uh, number two, who would have considered that in the year 2020, we might be talking about Ryan Tannehill as potentially the second best quarterback to come out of the 2012 quarterback class? A quarterback class that featured Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin III, uh, I think Russell Wilson, we can all agree, is the consensus number one of that. Yeah. Kirk Cousins, Nick Foles, 
And Ryan Tannehill was what you said, you know, an early first round pick as well. And here he has proven himself on a team that has absolutely bought into him. A team that moved on from their number two overall pick in Marcus Mariota. A team that moved on from a guy that they pretty much almost had centered the franchise around in some sense. They bought into Ryan Tannehill and it's worked. Now, I don't think this is all attributable to Ryan Tannehill. I think, number one, I think Mike Rabel is a great coach. And I think it is extremely difficult, as we will continue to say on repeat until the end of time, to tackle Derrick Henry. Because, well, and, and, and the thing about this human wrecking ball, absolutely, is when, when he is running for 100 yards in the first half, he is taking it out of a defense. And then that opens up play action and that opens up the pass game because you have to respect Derrick Henry. You can't shy away from him because if you do, then he's just going to run over you more. So you have to respect him. But when you have good receivers, i.e. AJ Brown, like you mentioned, that's, that's going to work well in your, well in your favor. And I think Tennessee is a good stretch team. Yeah. And (laughs) even if Ryan Tannehill had a bad game, Hey, let's just hand it to Derrick Henry and let him do the work because he uh, he's obviously a big running back in uh, the backfield and he did win a Heisman at Alabama. The guy's just so good. I mean, does he get tired? It, it looks like effortless, right? We talk about Patrick Mahomes. It looks effortless for Patrick Mahomes. That's what it looks like for Derrick Henry. He it, it's incredible to me that he you're right. He just does not look tired in the fourth quarter. You just keep handing him the ball. And even if it's only a two or three yard run, he just gets back up and where it almost feels like the defensive players are like, Oh my goodness. I just got hit by this again, human wrecking ball. And he just gets up, goes back to the huddle and goes, I'll carry it five more times this drive. Yeah. And he's, he's a three down back for sure. Yeah. Well, and he's, he again, will be a difference maker down the stretch when, when looking at a playoff run. Yeah. Um, Sticking in the one o'clock slate, look, New England's going to miss the playoffs. Okay, like it, it's it's going to happen. They're going to miss the playoffs. They're five and six. But for what it's worth, on Sunday beating Arizona, that's actually a pretty good win. Um, look, it, it's not going to mean anything in the big picture of things other than maybe where their draft order is come springtime. But. I mean, as a team rushing, I don't know what to think. 30 carries under 10 yards. Cam Newton had nine of those for 46. But his passing stats were so, so atomically bad. Nine for 18, 84 yards. I mean, those are the kind of things that you see in college for quarterbacks who can't throw the ball. Like, you'll see a quarterback for Army, and they do the triple homage, and they have, like, 42 yards passing, and it's, like, on one or two passes when they pass the whole game. Like, where Cam Newton came from in 2015 to where he is now in 2020, it's it's the Carson Wentz thing again, right? Like, I don't understand what happened to the guy. Is it injuries? Maybe. But they had a very good win on Sunday against Arizona, a team that I still think it's going to go to the playoffs. I think you do as well. I think I think me and you are both in the mindset that all three of those NFC out of those four NFC West teams of Arizona, Seattle, and LA are going to make the playoffs. But you can't lose that game if you're Arizona because Minnesota is actually right on that five and six line teetering to make that seven slot right now. And then you have all the in the hunt graphic with the NFC East, which 
you know, that's just for the division. It doesn't matter. They're not going to make the wild card. They're just for the, the division. But what's your thoughts on uh, New England and Cam? Well, the funny thing is, is, is I agree with you. I don't think New England's going to make the playoffs. Again, a testament to how tight the AFC's been. But that doesn't mean they can't play spoiler for a couple teams, too, to, to kind of shuffle them around a little bit. Because, uh, I mean, look back at New England's last three weeks. So they played Baltimore. The, we're talking about the schedule as a whole. Obviously, we know the result of these games. But New England and Baltimore, your first thought is, well, New England doesn't look the same this year. New England's bad. Of course, Baltimore's going to go in there, handle business, no big deal, casual. New England beats them. So then this sends Baltimore into a little bit of a spiral where they're like, uh, how did we just lose to New England? Then we have to go play Tennessee and obviously loses to them. And then, of course, what's what's happened with this upcoming game? So then we're talking about New England as a potential playoff team, and they lose to Houston. How that happens, not quite sure. Again, I know Deshaun Watson's a great player, but it's a down year. Again, it's crazy. So then you're, you're back off of New England saying, okay, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're going to play Arizona. So, of course, they're going to lose this game. Arizona's hot. And then New England wins. So if New England is in this league for anything other this year than just to play spoiler, that might just be it. They're the spoiler team. And, and of course, you know, I think this – I don't think this completely devastates Arizona. I think Arizona will turn it around. But I wouldn't want to play New England coming down the stretch especially with the guy who has the headset. I don't know if it's so much the team itself, but knowing who has that headset and who's making the calls, that's enough for me to be like, I don't want to play them coming down the stretch because he can ruin our playoff hopes. Yeah. And, you know, Bill Belichick's going to figure out a way next season to get back to where he normally is in the playoffs and, and get things back on track. But, yeah, I mean, those were the two games that stuck out to me at 1 o'clock. But... And also, just real quick, too, just a very quick note, the 8-3 and three Cleveland Browns. Yeah, they almost lost to Jacksonville yesterday. But, yeah, they're a very good team. They're going to make the playoffs. Don't sleep on them. They could be, they could be similar to that Tennessee-type team from last year. I don't think they're going to make the AFC championship game. But don't get me wrong. But I think they could possibly sneak away on wild card weekend with a victory, and no one would be shocked. Um Kansas City, Tampa Bay. Speaking of a guy who knows New England pretty well, his name's Tom Brady. Uh, you ever heard of him? But he played uh, pretty well on Sunday for losing by three points. I mean, that game was actually not as close as the score indicates of 27-24, to tell you the truth. But 345, three touchdowns, two picks. Gronk, six catches, 106 yards. But uh, <laughs> there's a guy on the other side of the field who's starting to take the league uh, over pretty easily. His name is Patrick Mahomes. 37 for 49, 462 yards, three touchdowns, and Tyreek Hill. I went a little bit of next-gen stat for you on Ryan, on Tyreek Hill, because I thought this was a little interesting. So we know he went off on Sunday. But of his 200 or so receiving yards, next-gen stats, 80 of those yards was after the catch. And Patrick Mahomes, two of his passes and all those completions were 20 yards or more downfield that means pretty much he was dinking and dunking all day at least 10 or 15 yards and the receivers were doing the work but hey whatever helps yeah well we talked about Jarrett Patterson with video game numbers Tyreek Hill having 200 receiving yards in the first quarter of the game on Sunday that is also video game numbers that is an absurd stat 
And I think that's a testament to how good Kansas City is. And something Trey said in the interview about putting Patrick Mahomes, not putting him down, but being able to beat him when it matters, that's the key. I still think Kansas City is the best team in that regard because Patrick Mahomes is just too good. There has been nobody the last year and a half now that's been able to put him down when it matters. We know that the Raiders beat him a couple weeks ago. It was a great game. But Patrick Mahomes is going to win. And until somebody beats him in the playoffs, I'm not sure I'll believe that he can be beat when it matters. And of course, Tampa Bay mounts a nice comeback. But one of the other things, I actually have a note in here and and it's four words and it's a question. It says, is this Tom Brady? Because watching that game, the last couple games, I'm not sure if it's the same Tom Brady. He looks a little bit different. It's not scared. It's not any of that. Tom Brady is the ultimate pros pro. He's won six Super Bowls. This just feels different. I, I don't know what it is, but. What, what do you think? I mean, he's fifth in the league in passing. So I don't, I don't think it's anything like that. I just think for as long as he's been in the game, 21 years, right? Like this is his 21st season. He doesn't need the reps, but what he does need for a new team coming from a completely different place that he's known for the last 20 years in new England to being in Tampa. I think a lot of people thought he was just going to go to the Super Bowl because he's been to nine of them, but Look, you have to have chemistry with your teammates. It doesn't happen overnight. Like, even the Warriors, okay, even the Warriors, okay, before they went on their dynasty run, they needed to get, you know, chemistry with Steph, Clay, Draymond, and then things started building, right? Like, you need team chemistry. And, look, Gronk, he's been okay the last couple weeks. Antonio Brown, he – I don't feel like Antonio Brown – is the same guy in Pittsburgh, right? But I feel like he's been okay. But I I heard a great point that Chris Sims of Pro Football Talk made. Tom Brady in New England had Danny Amendola. He had Julian Edelman. He had Wes Welker. Guys that were shifty, quick, moves in the slot. Guys that play really well on Tom Brady's routes. Guys that can even do a little bit of trick plays, like Julian Edelman on the reverse like a very highlight that you see all the time in the playoffs when they do the Ravens Patriots thing. Like those are the kind of things Tom Brady is used to. And I think it's a little different. And they even showed a stat yesterday that quarterbacks first year under Bruce Arians, under Bruce Arians systems, interceptions at the time, Tom Brady had nine when they showed that graphic by the end of the game, you know, he had two, so he has 11. Jameis Winston last year, first year in the system under Bruce Arians, had 30. Like, look, Tom Brady's not going to throw 30 picks, but I'm just saying I think he's used to a certain style, and it's for his age and as long as he's been in the league, it just does I feel like it, it's not working for him. Like, he, he needs someone like Josh McDaniels, someone he's used to, or Bill O'Brien. I think that that proves a little bit that the marriage between Belichick and Brady for so many years was mutual. Because there was so much debate coming into the season of which one's going to have more success. Oh, it's Belichick because he has the mind. Oh, no, it's Brady because he's going to be able to do it. Obviously, the Patriots haven't had the year that they wanted to have. But I think you can look at the Bucs and obviously say where they're at right now. They've not had the year that anybody thought that they would have either. You know, kind of that almost video game team putting together all the best players. And, and, and we talked about that where that doesn't always work out. But I think it proves that that marriage was was truly a match made in heaven between Belichick and Brady, 
because they made each other successful and they settled for nothing less. And when taking them apart, it comes with it with at least those first year struggles where things aren't going to necessarily shake out the way you'd want them to be. And, and it's, it's proven that way this year. Yeah. I didn't even know this cause they don't talk about it during the game, but did you, did you see Nadama Kinsu? He's in a Bucks uniform. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, I still think of him as stepping on that Packers center back in like 2000 and, 12 that's yeah what for some reason that's the that's the only image that i have of him and i don't dislike him don't that's not the point at all in this but for some reason that's the only image i have of that man is is him stepping on the the packers center (laughs) i don't think any of us would be surprised either if we saw drew and tom or you know my goodness even Taysom hill and tom like in an nfc championship game or you know tom sitting in the nfc championship game period but I think there is something to the fact that he was in New England for 20 years. The coach is there, stable, right? Coordinators change constantly with Bill, but he had stability and he had people that like knew what Tom liked, knew what Tom wanted as wide receivers, knew people to get, knew people to place and peace and all these kind of things. And I think Tampa's just not built that way, at least to do it in one year. I mean, he he signed a two-year deal. I mean, the guy's 43. Like, I don't know if he'll play just both years or if he'll play one on the two-year deal, but there needs to be some chemistry. I actually think if there was preseason, if there would have been preseason this year, they wouldn't actually look the way they look at times because they would have had those reps. They would have had more time to get things in rhythm and, and be able to piece things together. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with Tampa because they're an interesting team. You know what I mean? That they have, they have the talent. Wins they have bad losses. I, they're just on the brink of the 50, 50 team that you don't know what to think because they are at the top of the, of the cream cream of the crop and the NFC. But sometimes you have games like the new Orleans game where they lose 38, three, and you're like, ah, I don't, I don't know what to think, but. Another- well, and oddly enough, the same could be said for a team like the Rams who we, we see them beat teams like the Seahawks and then come out yesterday and lose to a completely depleted 49ers team. So it, it, it was a weird day overall for the NFC, but that's kind of what we've been, that's what we've been saying the last, what, three or four weeks now. Yeah. And um, we'll talk about it on Friday's episode, but uh, I, I'm sure I'll have another rant in store for my Eagles in, in Seattle. Cause that. Hey, the first place New York football giants. Yeah. <laughs> due to a tiebreaker of Washington, but yeah, they are first place. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's wrapping up the week in football. Uh, other, uh, just quick note about the weekend in sports. Um, it's 2020, it's not 1990, but, uh, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones, uh, junior fought on uh, Saturday. Uh, I didn't buy it. I, I don't think you did Ryan either. Uh, I think we just watched uh, some highlights because it wasn't that interesting. It was a draw and Although what I hear, I, th- I hear that uh, it wasn't like, you know, a waste of money. I hear that, I guess, Mike Tyson really tried to put on a show. Yeah, well, I, I mean, again, it's funny that you say it's like 1990, but I would have loved to have been able to see Mike Tyson in his prime, but we're, we're not old enough for that, unfortunately, to be able to see those years. But, I mean, certainly the nostalgia factors there, but it's just not quite the same. Uh, I actually have a quick note, too, about the weekend in sports, and, and we put this out on our social media channels. Uh, dating back a couple of weeks in our interviews with Seth Greenberg, telling us to watch out for Richmond. 
Richmond's going to be a sleeper team. They might make the tournament, and there they are beating number 10 Kentucky over the weekend. Yeah, our friend Seth Greenberg. Man, <laughs> he just called that out, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I, that was a. I'm sitting there watching that game, and it immediately clicked in my mind. I was like, oh, Richmond, our friend Seth told us that's going to be a team to watch. And also, too, uh, from the Seth Greenberg interview, uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame class was announced, and Bob Huggins was snubbed again. So, yeah. They'll get it right eventually, right? Um, they have to. I mean, they can't keep missing it. I mean, that that's just a fact. Yeah, and speaking of uh, just wrapping up, uh, you know, sports talk in general, uh, Ryan, we got uh, good games coming up. West Virginia, Gonzaga, we have Duke, Michigan State, you know, we have Kansas. So a lot of good college basketball games coming up and uh, I feel like it's going to be a good uh, week in sports, even with a Wednesday football game at three o'clock. Yep. Excited for a little bit of week uh, weekday sports. And on Friday, we'll do a little bit of recap and do a little bit of preview for the weekend too. Excited for another big weekend. Yeah. Can't uh, can't wait to uh, get to that Friday episode. Uh, see you guys. Yep. See you guys.